you need to make sure people are aware of that. One of the things I've always focused on is, is trying to help those folks find roles within the organization mm-hmm. in which maybe transformation is happening in one department, but not in the other. Uh, we used to do something called uh, like a free agent pick where we would list the resumes, the people, the talent and skills, because even though we might be doing transformation in one organization, one part of the organization, another one may be growing. So how do you try to help place those people? Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. Have you guys ever had a prospect tell you yes, but then disappear off the face of the earth? Or maybe you've given someone on your team very clear instructions just to find out that they actually did the opposite. I know that I've struggled with these challenges more than I would like to admit, and I really wanted to learn a better way to read my customers, my team, and the most important people in my life so that I could communicate with them more effectively. And the most powerful way that I found to do this is to learn to read body language and micro expressions. You see, their body and expressions will tell you the truth about how they really feel even when their words do not. It's an incredibly powerful skill to learn, and one that I want you to learn. And that's why I partnered with the leaders in body language training for business people to offer you a free six-week e-course on body language and micro-expressions. In this free course, you'll learn what micro-expressions are, why are they so powerful, how to spot them, and then how to read them. You'll learn how to make accurate readings, which is so important. You'll learn body language with a big focus on positive body language to understand when things are going really well. You'll learn how to read minds in real time and actually see a demonstration of this. And maybe most importantly, you'll learn how to spot lies and so much more. These folks have trained over 50,000 business leaders and the work has been published in the Harvard Business Review. The concepts have been proven to boost EQ by 10% and sales by 20%. So this is really powerful stuff, guys, that you'll definitely want to check out. So you can sign up for your free six-week e-course at bodylanguagemastery.gregjrice.com. Again, that's bodylanguagemastery.gregjrice.com. And make sure you guys go check that out to ensure that you're never left wondering what happened to that sale or why your team member did the opposite of what you expected them to. What's up, guys? Today, I got to interview Philip Jenkins. Philip was a senior director and analyst for Gartner, where he helped a number of companies drive transformational technology change in the customer service space. Prior to that, he drove just that kind of change at Verizon where he was head of advanced analytics and director of call center operations as well as a variety of other roles. He's also an avid entrepreneur and real estate investor, so he can talk on a lot of topics and we got into a variety of them, but what I really wanted to focus on is how to drive transformational change. And we talked about it three different layers. The first is, is how do you get buy-in from above? How do you develop that business case? How do you break down silos? And how do you get the green light to move forward in the first place? 
The second piece we talked about is how to get frontline buy-in, right? Everybody's lives are going to be changing across the organization. How do we get buy-in to use the products? How do we get buy-in to learn the new skills they have to learn to make them successful? And then thirdly, how do you drive adoption, both with customers and internally? Now that you've deployed this new technology, how do you get folks to actually use it? So overall, everyone wants to talk about implementing that new hot innovation or that new technology that's going to transform their business. But in reality, it's much more complex and nuanced and far-reaching of an effort than most leaders realize. Philip has done it himself. He's helped lots of clients do it. And he shares some really powerful nuggets for you and for anyone looking to do the same in their organization. Philip, welcome to the Art of Communication podcast. Really excited to get to talk to you today. Yeah, great to catch up with you again. I know it's been a while since we spoke last, so I'm looking forward to today's discussion. Yeah, for sure. And for the audience, Phil and I have worked together a bit in the past. He's a master, I'd say, on driving transformational change at large organizations, especially where technology is involved. So that's what I really want to dive into with him today. Off the top, though, I'd love to just get a bit about your background and kind of how you got in this kind of big technology transformation game, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my background is in technology. My first role was really in the Army and the Signal Corps. So working in switching systems, so working with actual telecommunications equipment, learning how to fix and resolve it. And that led to a natural career with Bell Atlantic, later Verizon, where I was doing similar work as a switching systems operator. Uh, And really, at the heart, I'm a troubleshooter. I'm a problem solver. So when I go into any role or position, the first thing I do is identify the problems and what are now the strategies or opportunities that we can to overcome those problems. And they typically fall into technology, into people, into process. So those three structures of your operating model are critical to say, where are we at today? Where do we need to be at? And what's the path to get through that transformation? And so at my time at Verizon, uh, you know, it was going through significant transformation in the telecommunications industry with the loss of access lines. So you can imagine at one point, you know, the the landline service was huge. It was, in essence, a a monopoly going back even to to the 1980s and the antitrust. Uh, But as cell phones became more proliferated, you started to see people cut the landline. And as a result, a company I was working for Verizon at the time started to see all of uh, that revenue shift over from wireline to wireless. And I was fortunate to be on the wireline side because what it meant is I had to pick up more and more responsibilities. Mm. As downsizing was happening, they would find the person who could take on additional roles and start to lead that change. So it was almost forced because of the relationship of what was happening in the industry and then my performance and skill set at the time. And so, you know, through Verizon and all the roles I had that led to, you know, my next career transition, which was with Gartner, uh, where I got to support really clients all around the world in different verticals and in different uh, industries and help them through transformation, uh, focusing primarily on digital self-service, the use of analytics and artificial intelligence to drive that transformation. But when there's technology involved, there's people involved. And ultimately, you can't address just the technology aspect, but the people aspect. So that's really my background from the Army to Verizon and then to Gartner, being in those large organizations and those large roles and supporting you know, so many different clients. It really brought me to the place in which uh, you know, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm an expert at anything. I'm sort of a master of, of many, expert of none. Uh, but you know, leading digital transformation or leading transformation in general is an area that I really enjoy. 
Oh, great. And, for, and first of all, thank you for your service. And it's great to hear that skills that you picked up in the services were very transferable into leadership positions down the road. I know a lot of times that can be a challenge where you, you come out and you can't necessarily transfer your, your skills that you've learned as effectively as possible. So it's great to hear that part of the story. Yeah. I mean, one of the challenges I kept trying to make my clients do push-ups, and obviously <laughs> that was, I had to kind of stop that part of, uh, of the work effort. But uh, part of the challenge, and we'll probably talk about it throughout the day, is is really your style changes. You know, I've now been doing this for three decades. I know I look pretty young, but I've been doing it for a long time. And boy, if I think about the mistakes that I made 20 years ago and the leader that I was, you know, there's huge opportunities that I could have been a much more effective leader, much more empathetic leader. And those are things you learn through time, through experience. And uh, and those are some things I think we'll talk about today in terms of lessons learned and sort of best practices and things to avoid as you're driving that type of transformation and change. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll definitely get into that a bit. That's definitely at the heart of some of what I want to talk about. Before we dive in though, so digital transformation, technology transformation are really broad terms. I'd love if we could just maybe focus in a little bit and, and maybe if you give us your definition of, of what those things mean to give us give the audience some clarity about kind of what we're what we're really talking about. Yeah, interesting enough, I was just reading a LinkedIn article from Augie Ray at, at Gartner around the term digital transformation. And he's absolutely right. Uh, digital transformation uh, if you go back to big data, if you go back to artificial intelligence, if you go back to all these buzzwords, digital transformation, one that's probably stuck around a little bit too long. Uh, if anyone is just starting digital transformation at this point, you know, God help them. Um, and so hopefully at this point, it is really around what, what, uh, what I would call digital optimization. I like to call it digital evolution. So early on, uh, you know, if you think about the initial implementation in digital, it was what? It was email. Uh, you still had your IVR from a voice perspective. Uh, those are the two channels starting out on. Uh, and then you added websites. Uh, and then you started to add mobile apps. And what we've seen is that, you know, at this point, it's time to sort of take a step back and look at what is your digital strategy? Uh, what are the channels uh, that you want to be engaged on? Why do those channels make sense based on your industry, based on where you sit globally? based on your employees, your customer segments, and even the personas, how they want to interact with you, uh, and which channels are more effective to have that digital conversation. So, so digital transformation was typically thought around adding more channels and adding more inroads in which customers can engage you and you can engage customers. But at this point, it should be more around sort of a optimization of your strategy, finding the right two or three channels in which you can start to have a more effective two-way dialogue or conversation with your customers. That's really where we're at from a digital evolution perspective. That's really interesting. And just to make sure we have the right lens on it for the audience, we're primarily talking about digital evolution, as you say, in the customer service space, right? So that's really the, the lens that this conversation is coming from. It is, but, but I always, when I start the conversation with clients, I tell them it's not about customer service. It's mm. about customer experience. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about, uh, we'll probably get into things around silos. Uh, that is why many organizations have gone wrong with their digital strategies because marketing is leading a, a digital strategy around hyper-personalization and customer services, the digital strategy around website or troubleshooting, things from that perspective. So everyone's focused on their own portion of the customer experience. But in essence, true digital transformation, true dev- digital evolution your company should be seen as a single entity to your customers and not as a bunch of sort of separate conversations happening, sometimes at the same time, 
with very conflicting messages. So that's something we can talk more about today as well. For sure. For sure. I think that's really interesting. So the first kind of deep dive I want to focus on as we think about digital transformation is something you mentioned earlier, the people piece, right? I think a lot of organizations are running towards the next exciting innovation in the space and how do we transform everything that we're doing? But the technology is only a tool, right? You have to you have to you have to focus on the change management piece and and getting folks comfortable with that change, especially the folks whose lives will be changing as part of that change. So I'd love to get your thoughts, especially you mentioned earlier about kind of developing empathy as a leader over time. How did you drive those kinds of transformations to make sure that they were successful, both for the organization but also for the people? Absolutely. So early on, I was the bull in the china shop. Um, hey, we're going to change. Why? Because I said so. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And that strategy is effective short term. Um, it's going to lead to employee burnout, employee uh, attrition issues, uh, people are not going to feel satisfied. Uh, with their role. So when you think about transformation, the technology part, even though it's it's there, I often focus on with clients, it's actually, in my my opinion, the easiest part of transformation, Hmm. right? We need a solution to do A, B, and C. These are the companies that can provide a solution, A, B, and C. Um, They can provide, and then at what cost? Uh, And so you make a decision that this is the right technology, this is the right partner, this is the right implementation plan. That is, is, is fairly simple, but most people struggle with that because they get overly concerned about technology. They get concerned about how complicated it is. Uh, when you break down the technology, in my, my opinion, it always comes down to it. It's a box that does something, right? It might be a physical box. It might be a virtual box. It's connected. It might be connected physically through something like fiber optics or, or copper, or it might be you know connected virtually as well, if you think about the IP addressing. So technology is not as complicated as I think some people make it out to be people are far more complicated. Um, So when you think about the transformation that's going to take place, there's a couple of things that employees want. They want input, all right? They want to have their voice heard. When they give input, they want to know that you actually heard it, acknowledged it, and you're going to respond back to them. So one of the important things is when when you get feedback from your employees to say, you know, we're having trouble with, with this particular solution, that you figure out what the issue is and is it something you can resolve? And if you can resolve it, you let them know you can resolve it and when it can be resolved. But there's often times where there's things you can't resolve. But by not going back to them, you start to lose sort of their hearts around that particular transformation. So one of the keys to keep employees engaged from the front line all the way up to the C-suite really is a very strong governance schedule. How often am I going to meet with what level in the business? What is the actual level of discussion that's going to take place, right? So if I'm meeting with C-suite, I'm communicating what we've done, what we've accomplished, and what we're going to do. You know, if I'm meeting with frontline, we're talking about a different level of conversation. It's going to get much more strategic and tactical in those type of conversations. So when you're having governance, you know, it's not one PowerPoint to rule them all. You're going to have to have different messages at different levels to keep folks engaged. But it it really comes down to ensuring that you're hearing the concerns, that you're addressing the concerns, the ones that can be addressed, and the ones that can't be addressed, you're giving them a rational explanation on why uh, they can't be addressed. And by the way, one of the things I used to always do is I always kept a list of the things I couldn't get done in my back pocket, because just because I couldn't get them done in 2021, it doesn't mean 
in 2022 when I have a new budget, or maybe I'm working under a different leader, that I can't bring that issue or topic within. So one of the things I always encourage folks is when you're going through change, sometimes you don't always have the right situation to foster that change. But if it's a good idea in 2021, it might be still a good idea in 2022. So just because you can't get it done, don't kind of put it on the back burner. So, so governance and communication, having the message at the right level and having an expectation for what that governance and communication is going to accomplish. For example, with C-suite, if I need more money, that's the type of conversation I'm going to have. But we've come this far, but I need X amount of more money versus if I'm meeting with a frontline, it's really, hey, we're trying to use the system. It doesn't work very well. What are the concerns? How am I addressing those concerns? So having that that very, very dialogue based on the level of discussion is critical to, to governance. And sticking to that schedule or that calendar, don't cancel governance meetings, for example. Um, one of the things you see when you, one of the things I've experienced is when you have transformation, you know, sometimes you have fatigue over those, those updates. But when you stop having those updates, it starts to cause more fear among those people involved. Right? Like, what's going on? Are we still doing this? I haven't heard from Philip or Greg lately. You know, what's going on with this transformation? Is my job secure? I, I don't understand what's happening. So people will fill in the blanks if you're not actually telling what's happening. So, you know, communication, obviously, which are part of your podcast, is, is really essential towards any type of transformation. Yeah, no, and I, I appreciate that. And it, it, it adds such nuance, I think, to the skill set a transformational leader needs. It's not just the vision and the idea and the innovation. It's really about the layered communication at different points across the organization that needs to happen. And that's a very different skill set a lot of times. You mentioned you know, people being afraid of losing their job, and that is inevitably a part of technology transformation as well, right? So if we're if we create a technology that reduces calls by 30%, we, we need less people answering the phone. So tell me how you, you go about handling that in a way that doesn't completely poison the culture. So, uh, for example, I was working with a client recently in which they have a two-phase approach to transformation. The first phase is going to be to enable technology, let me take trial knowledge and make it available to the masses, right? Which means you need less people because you can be more efficient with the folks that you have, because they can do functions that previously they were unable to do. Well, once you start to get that knowledge integrated into a technology platform, you don't need as many, in this case, customer service reps to be able to perform that function. And so the challenge there is, how do I get these folks to participate in giving me the challenge? Ultimately, it's likely to mean less jobs or even less overtime in some cases. It's not always about losing jobs. Sometimes it's about losing overtime, overtime that they factored into their lifestyle and their decisions you know, about the new 2021 Kia Telluride, for example. So part of it is being honest. You know, your brand is more important than anything. And when people lose their job, they're not going to be happy with you. But how they lose their job can make a difference about how they talk about you. So if, if I can have a transformation and then, you know, once the transformation is complete, we have the pizza party, you know, two weeks later, I get a knock on the door and they say they don't need me anymore. That is going to result in an implication to your brand. Like people are not going to want to work for you as a company. And so always be honest. If the intention is to downsize, you need to make sure people are aware of that. One of the things 
I've always focused on is, is trying to help those folks find roles within the organization mm-hmm. in which maybe transformation is happening in one department, but not in the other. Uh, we used to do something called uh, like a free agent pick where we would list the resumes, the people, the talent and skills, because even though we might be doing transformation in one organization, one part of the organization, another one may be growing. So how do you try to help place those people? So it's a, it's not easy because in some cases you do need people to participate in something that ultimately is going to affect their job. But I think if you're honest along the way, that goes a long way towards the way that you don't perceive that. Again, they're not going to be happy. Nobody's going to be happy. They're, they're not going to love your brand. But at least you can know that you've dealt with the situation uh, with integrity. And that's, I think, critical towards the long-term success of your organization. Brandon, and even your own you know, satisfaction. I would always... I went through a transformation period where I was downsizing probably for 10 straight years. And so I had good people that ultimately had to leave the business. And as long as I was keeping them informed and making the decisions using the right criteria, you know, it, you know, I could obviously sleep a little bit easier at night than knowing that, you know, I was not being honest with them and I was selecting people based on any type of random criteria. So I think that that's a part of it is communicating openly and honestly, understanding the long-term implications of the brand. But it is, it's definitely one of the most challenging things of transformation in which you know job loss will happen and getting people to participate in that. You know, it's, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult discussion for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the other side of the coin a bit. Say that you're an aspiring transformational leader, right? But you need to get buy-in from senior executives. You need them to sign the check and kind of give you the green light. What, what are kind of the keys to getting that buy-in? What's really critical to look at Every company is different. So, for example, I was meeting with a client a few weeks ago in which, you know, money was no object, kind of like the scene from Jurassic Park. They were willing to spend whatever it took to improve customer experience. Why? Because they were in a B2B space. They were selling equipment that was millions of dollars, and they weren't as worried uh, about the expense investment to be able to service those customers. But you have other businesses and clients in which, for example, the goal is to reduce call volume 20% every year. Yet they're asking for a technology tool within the contact center. So you can imagine a three to five year return on investment for that doesn't look to be a great uh, spend of money. And so every challenge will be unique. Uh, the key is, is understanding what is the business case. And, you know, depending on the critical aspects that the organization has to accomplish. So if the senior leader is looking for improved customer experience, make sure your business case is built around the implication it will have to customer experience. Mm -hmm. Cost reduction, what are the implications to cost reduction, such as call volume reduction, that you can build the business case against? But one of the things often overlooked is the implication to revenue. And so when I look at business cases, specifically in the customer service space, they're often built only around expense reduction. TX is often considered a soft benefit, and there's zero implication to revenue. Uh, we all know if you build a business case on revenue, especially recurring revenue, uh, the return on investment is going to look far greater. So part of it is making sure that you build an effective business case that you truly understand all of the implications that technology is going to have for your customers, for your employees, for expense, for customer experience, and for revenue. And, and the areas in revenue include revenue protection. For example, providing a better experience, you can reduce things like churn or you can increase upsell cross-sell opportunities. So making sure that 
as you're having that discussion, you build a really effective business case. Because ultimately, if you're sitting across from your COO, your CEO, or your CFO, they're going to want to understand what is the implication of this transformation for, if you're obviously a publicly traded business, for the stakeholders, what's the implication for customers, what's the implication for employees, and ultimately, how does it affect both top line and bottom line performance? So really having a compelling business case is critical. And and often I see the business cases in which I've done reviews for clients, uh, they're they're really myopic in terms of trying to focus only on expense. And so as the example I made earlier, if if you know you're going to have a 20% reduction in contact volume or call volume, asking for millions of dollars of money to invest in a solution that will have diminishing returns is a very difficult discussion to have. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the focus on understanding what's important to the individual, right? It's a, it's another great communication tactic is whenever you're trying to convince somebody of anything or influence them or persuade them or even connect with them, you know, understanding what's important to them is critical. It's not just about what's important to you. It's about what's important to them. Absolutely. And, and great, even to the point around taxonomy, around presentation style. So I, mm. I work for a, a senior leader who had a certain style. They were not into visualization. They wanted everything in a tabular format. And so for me to bring in a a Tableau report with beautiful graphs, right, was not going to ultimately convince them. If I brought in a one-page table and they could scan that table and see the numbers that they were looking to see, then I could get buy-in. So what format do they like to consume information? What are some of their I used to call them pet peeves, but what are some of the things when you listen to them speak in town halls and forums, what are the two or three things that they mention most often? And do they relate to what you're trying to do? And can you create that relationship for them, even explicitly using, you know, this, the same words? And, you know, we have, we've often seen, you know, you and I probably over the years where suddenly a new, a new term is thrown about. What happened? Well, the CEO mentioned it in an all, all management meeting. And now for the next year, everyone's trying to bend stuff and transform stuff. And, and, uh, and so you want to do that as much as possible. What's the taxonomy? What's the format? What's the type of conversation that's really going to resonate with the leader or leaders that you ultimately need to gain buy-in from? And, and one last example I often give is if you're going to a council, let's say marketing's at the table, digital's at the table, finance is at the table. If you're building a technology a transformation uh, roadmap and you need investment, make sure you have use cases that the marketing person's going to sit up in their chair, right? That the digital person's going to sit up in their chair and the finance person's going to sit up in their chair. And you make sure your use cases will will hit upon those things that are most important to them. Because then when you're looking for those votes at the table, they all feel like what's in it for me. There's something that they're going to benefit from that, that particular technology transformation. I love that. So not just what's most important to them, but also how do they like to consume information? Uh, what is their kind of hotspot, right? What what gets them excited? And how do you communicate that most effectively? Now, getting the green light is only the first step right? Even though you've gotten the investment, the green light, it's still really hard to successfully transform things. I can think of two challenges that just come top of mind for me. The first one is, is and you mentioned it earlier, is breaking down silos, right? Especially in kind of the customer service world, but probably every world. People have these fiefdoms, these silos. So I own the website or I own the app or I own the call center that you need to break down to drive transformational change. So any, any thoughts on how to do that most effectively? What it starts with is really developing individual relationships with those 
leaders in those organizations. And that's through, you know, informal dialogue. Maybe it's obviously doing a lot virtual now, but stopping in their office or having a virtual conversation with them, getting to know them individually, getting them to know you. And then in some cases, strategically partnering with one or two people in an organization in which they are similar to you, meaning they want to drive change and you've got something that you think can drive change. And if they can sign up and you can do something that is multi-organizational, let's say it crosses marketing and crosses operations, and you can prove something out, then what happens is the other people will, will come to the table and say, hey, what are you guys doing? I heard that you've achieved you know, A, B, or C result, and we want to be involved in that. So, you know, depending again, all of these uh, type of lessons really apply the particular organization you're in, your particular leadership style, who are the leaders that you're working with. But one of the best ways to do it is find a few strategic partners that you can implement some type of cross-organizational use case to demonstrate how that technology can start to transform the organization. And as you win over one or two or three people, you start to see momentum mm-hmm. on that. You know, now it's the CEO or the CEO saying, hey, I want you to get with so-and-so because I like what they're doing. And now they're coming to you asking you for help. And uh, you know, it's a lot easier to sort of tackle those one at a time. I was working with a client very recently on search engine optimization, for example. And they had responsibility for six, six different regions over in, in Europe. And they were trying to implement changes across all six with six different leaders. Well, that is just not going to happen. It's going to be exhausting. You're going to have too many different opinions. Mm-hmm. Find one of those six leaders and implement the changes, being able to measure implicitly and explicitly the effect of the actions that you're taking prove out the value that you can bring. And then the other five regions will be lining up to be part of the process as well. So often that's the approach you have to take, especially if you're in an organization where maybe you don't have senior leader buy-in to change, but you've been asked to deliver change. And so you need to find the path of least resistance to prove first what you're talking about makes sense, not just from a strategy or concept, but actually execution implementation. And once you prove it out, then then folks will be lining up to want to participate. In some cases, they'll be lining up to actually want to take your job um, because you've proven out something that now other folks are saying this adds value. And, and when you demonstrate that, people tend to want to be part of that process. I love it. I, I love that it starts with the relationships, right? Just because you can say, hey, this will be good for you. Here's why. It doesn't get you there. You have to have a relationship to, to build upon the foundation. So that's great. The other internal challenge is, so now you're running, right? You got people excited. Now you have to manage expectations, right? And whenever you talk about big technology transformation, people think you're going to be able to change the world overnight. And it's a much longer slog than that. So talk about how you manage expectations from the outset and how you manage expectations as you go along, as you learn new things and, and you know, your own expectations about what you can accomplish probably change over time. Yeah, and this, this goes also down to what's the level of confidence that leadership has in you individually? How long have you been in that role? How is the organization performing and how much time do you have to actually drive that change. Again, all of these situations where, so when I, when I give advice to a client, the first meeting I'll often have is very general. 
But once they start to understand all the nuance of them as a leader of their business, of how they're operating, what they're looking to accomplish, what technology, what investment, what people, what skills, all that has to be a, a very you know personalized discussion for them. So, you know, that's really that's part of the, the challenge that you have there is really to understand the uniqueness uh, of your situation and say, how can I now apply that? Def- definitely interesting. That and, and then kind of the other piece, I think, of success is right now. Now we've gotten to a point where we're ready to deploy something. How do we get customers to adopt this change, right? We're asking them to do something differently than they used to. So what are the keys to doing that? Well, customer adoption is the most difficult. In fact, when you're implementing any, t- any type of change, and, and probably something I should have added on to the, the last question was really always be very honest with your expectations of the change and what you believe it can deliver, right? So I see where folks will go in with a very liberal assumption of the benefit that a particular solution will have. Often that's fed to them by the vendor selling them a solution. Well, vendors are going to tell you the best case scenario, when they were most successful implementing their solution. But again, what is your uh, IT team uh, uh, ability to implement that solution? What is your own business team's ability to implement that solution? Uh, what's your level of investment compared to the investment that the other organization may let receive those significant results? So always ensuring that you're not building up the business case to be much greater than it actually is. Mm-hmm. Because what you don't want to do, Greg, is say, we're going to deliver $5 million in year one, deliver $2 million in year one, because you're not going to be around for year two. Right. So (laughs) you don't want to set yourself up for failure. And so even if it means I get a no, if two million is realistic and two million gets me a no, I'm going to say I'm going to get two million because I'd rather get a no at two million than a yes at five million, knowing the truth is two million, because I not only do a disservice to myself, but my brand and my organization as well. So always operating under uh, an assumption of what you believe you're going to accomplish. And that's what ties into this customer question. So getting employees and customers to adopt solutions, you need to take a very conservative approach to that. So one of the things I used to, when I used to build a business case, it was, let's say technology, IT was implementing solution A, we knew solution A had 10,000 defects. When they implemented the solution, those 10,000 defects would go away. I had a 90% confidence that I would be able to remove that cost from the business. Let's say I'm implementing solution B, maybe it's the, maybe it's a knowledge management system and I need to get my employees to use it, we believe it's going to deliver $2 million in benefit if we get 100% adoption. Well, I'm going to build in a 50% confidence level because I know getting people to adopt technology is going to take a period of time. So rather mm-hmm. than give them the $2 million, I'm going to just say we're going to accomplish $1 million. So as you build this business case, as you, as you communicate earnestly what you believe the benefit will be, making sure that you assess the level of confidence in your organization to implement that, understanding that technology solutions in terms of removing defects or bugs can be fairly reliable, but changing human behavior, employee and customer behavior is far less likely something you can control and you want to be very conservative. Now, how do you get your customers to use these solutions or even how do you get your employees to use these solutions is, is make sure that they're the minimal viable product that you're deploying with is effective to actually solve the issue that they're coming to you for. Um, so if you deploy a minimal viable product, then let's say it's a chatbot, and that chatbot 
only can solve the issue 20% of the time. The other 80% of the time, it's going to bring you into an agent, whether it's a live chat agent or give you a phone number to call. Well, what's the chance I'm going to use that the next time I'm on that website? So as you implement solutions, make sure that you have clarity around what is MVP. And if you're going to deploy something that you don't believe represents a high level of quality, it's okay to even brand it that way. For example, you know, let's say it's the, the same instance of a chatbot because I work with a lot of clients on chatbots. Say, hey, this is our new beta bot. We're trying this out. We know it's not perfect, but we'd love you to try it and give us feedback. What that does, it does two things. It lowers the customer's expectation but those folks who want to engage in it, those are the type of people who love to give feedback. They want to be part of the process of making that chatbot better. And so the feedback that you get is much more valuable as well. And so now maybe when, when you know, three months, six months down the road, they're going to come back and they use that chatbot again because they're going to be saying, hey, I wonder how much better it got. And so, you know, that's another important factor is deploying a solution with the, the right level of quality that customers will be able to get resolution or at least letting them know that it doesn't necessarily have the level of quality that you want it to, but you want them to be part of the process, helping them to deploy, you know, a much better solution that in the future they'll have, for example, 24 by seven access to pay their bill, to find out their balance, to solve an issue, to order something, whatever that particular technology solution is meant to, uh, to deliver. I, I think that that's key and, and, and very powerful. And I think another key is obviously understanding what your customers need in the first place. You know, before you dive in this journey, you have to spend some time doing some research, talking to them, mapping out journeys, understanding what is that need that's not being solved today before you go solving a need that they don't actually have, which which happens more often than than we'd probably like to believe. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was uh, on LinkedIn yesterday and going back and forth uh, with someone else around um, their post was strategy is overrated. And basically, my perspective is no, strategy is not overrated. It's strategy without action, right, will result in failure. Action mm-hmm. without strategy will result in failure. So you need strategy and action to really drive the optimal business outcome and long-term success. So if you're just deploying, for example, clients will say, hey, should we be on social media? Why? Because everyone else is. Well, have you thought about does it make sense for your business or for your customers? Have you thought down and met with the leaders across your business, understand your business model, understand your customer segments, your personas to say, does this make sense? Or am I simply adding it to keep up with the, you know, keep up with the Joneses? So making sure that you're very strategic, especially when you have a limited investment. And every time you make a bad technology decision, you're setting yourself back even further. So let's say you get down the path 18 months in, you decide you have the wrong technology, the wrong channel, the wrong vendor part, or Mm. it's going to take you twice as long to get caught up now because you've lost 18 months and now you're starting over again. So definitely spend time to be strategic. Don't get paralyzed in that process. But at the same time, if you're just going to act and make decisions without doing RFPs, without being very thoughtful, you're going to be less successful in the long run. Yeah, so true. So true. Well, this has been great. Just a few more questions I'd like to ask everybody who I have on the show, a little bit outside of the technology transformation discussion. So the first one is that I just really believe in the power of conversations and the power of how just one conversation can really change the direction that you take in your life. So I always like to ask my guests if there's one really powerful conversation you can point to in your life that had a really meaningful impact upon you. This is the conversation, but it was it was a moment in my life that changed the way I viewed every every business problem 
I've had since then. It was an, it was an interview process. I was just out of the army. I was interviewing with the company for a position in um, STP, which is Signal Transfer Protocol SS7. So it's a switching technology. And a question came up uh, around, you're working on a project and the project is due on Friday. The customer's not going to need it until Monday, um, but you're waiting on a part to arrive. And the part is not gonna arrive till Saturday or Sunday. You know, is it okay to communicate to the customer on Friday that the project's complete, knowing that you'll be able to get it done on Saturday or Sunday? And you know, this is one of these where it's putting you in a position that your supervisor is asking you to do this. And you know, I'm just out of the army here, and and the army is all about team. And so I said, well, you know, as long as you get, you know, you can get it resolved, letting the customer know, I don't, I don't see it as an issue. Uh, and the interviewer stopped. The, the interview right, right away and thanked me for my time and, and basically ended the interview. And so Interesting. explain to me that, you know, listen, nothing is more important than your brand. And I've always considered myself a high compliance person. You know, I stop at the red light at two in the morning and I'll wait for it to turn green, right? Even if no one's there. And that really shook me to my core, the fact that I answered that so wrong. And I knew in my heart it was wrong, but yet I, I gave that answer. And, and so every time I've looked at a problem ever since then, I've always told my team is if we fail, we're always going to fail with honesty and integrity. I never want to be successful by lying or misleading. And it's guided really every decision in my personal professional life. It, it guides uh, decisions I make today where, you know, we'll be talking through something at, at one of my, uh, one of my uh, businesses that I own and it will be around hey, you know, we're not making money on this. We should maybe stop doing this. And I'll be like, well, no, we've committed to the customer. So if I lose money on it, fine. I want to lose money on it as long as it means I fulfill my commitment to the customer with honesty and integrity. So that is not necessarily a conversation, but it's a point in, in time that's judged every decision I've made since then. And it's something I try to remind new team members and, and teammates that I work with that nothing is more important than your brand. And no individual relationship should ever risk your brand and your own personal integrity. Wow. Powerful. Definitely powerful. Uh, second question. If you think about all that you've accomplished so far in your career, if there's one communication skill that you could have had in greater abundance that would have made it a lot easier for you, what would that have been? Probably the skill of listening. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, naturally in my head, I go right from strategy to solutioning. And one of the things I learned from a, a leader, uh, Tammy Irwin uh, at Verizon, is she once stopped me twice and said, no, what's your strategy? But I kept going back to the same answer I was giving her. And I was missing the fact that I had already formed the strategy and got to solutions. And I was sharing the solutions without bringing everyone along that journey that I had already made in my head. Mm. And so it's really around the fact that, you know, you've, you've heard this, you know, in the military, you're only a you know, strong as your weakest link, right? If you're trying to champion a cause or transformation across an organization, you've got to bring people along the way and get their explicit buy-in um, because unlike the military where you have positional authority and if you tell them to take the bridge, they'll take the bridge, you know, in corporate, they're going to say, why, why are we taking the bridge? So being able to really facilitate the strategy, the tactics, listen to the input and, and allow that to actually affect the outcome uh, is extremely important. And, and I've always said that I always have a solution for everything. I always in my heart think it's the best solution, but over the years I've delegated and allowed people to implement 
something I didn't think would, would work and it has worked. And so, you know, none of us as leaders are right 100% of the time. Make sure we listen to those with diverse opinions and perspectives is a critical skill that I believe I have it now, but I still need to constantly sort of challenge myself to make sure, am I really listening? Um, even today during the podcast, how much have I listened versus how much have I talked is something I, I constantly reflect upon. <laughs> well, your role is to talk now and for me to ask yeah. questions and for me to listen. So I appreciate that. And, and it's certainly a struggle for me, especially when I started kind of in leadership roles, right? Feeling the pressure to have all the answers and, and always be right and to know everything when nobody expects that of you, not even your team. And, and they'll buy in a lot more if you're honest with them and, and kind of get their feedback, especially around those areas where, where you might be a little weaker. So a final question for you, who is the best communicator that you know of? Either they can be alive or dead, somebody you know or don't know, and why do you say that about them? Well, I can't give you one. Let me give you a couple. And uh, you know, one is one of the first presidents that I recall uh, as a young teen was Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan always spoke with respect towards both sides uh, of a position. And he spoke intelligently, and he was able to make his point with wit and intellect and facts. So mm-hmm. I always admired him. Sometimes I'll watch, you know, when, when politics come up, I'll watch some of the old videos and like, boy, you know, the way he was able to just change the argument so quickly with, with five to seven words was very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a leader I worked with at Verizon, Ty Stevenson. Ty was an empathetic leader. He really loved people and it came out. It came out because he was passionate. He was passionate on both directions, Right. Uh, extreme highs and extreme like demanding, but he always got the best of you. And and I would run through you know a wall for him. And then lastly is, is someone most recently at, at Gartner, Mike Harris. And I've always listened to him almost flawlessly execute communicating different tactics and initiatives and strategies. And so those are those are some folks I really have great respect on. They all have a little different type of skill sets. But I think uh, really show strong communication skills and ultimately different styles, but but still the, able to get successful outcomes. Very cool. Yeah, fairly recently, it's interesting that you, you talk about Ronald Reagan. Fairly e- recently, I interviewed one of the leaders of his communication teams, uh, specifically did a lot of speech writing and things like that. So I, you'll definitely go check out that interview. He talks a lot about kind of the behind the scenes and and how involved Reagan was in kind of his speech writing, his own speech writing and and, and how he uh, just really focused on communication a, as a pillar of his uh, his leadership style. So great stuff, great stuff. So cool, last couple of questions. So I, I know that you're going to be working on doing some videos. Tell us a little bit more about what you're going to be focusing on there and, and just where folks can find those and where folks can connect with you. Absolutely. So I've got a lot of stuff in my head and I've got to get it out. And so <laughs> I'll be recording videos and podcasts myself, sharing those on LinkedIn. You know, there's a lot of opinions I have. They're often strong opinions, but I think they'll be helpful. Um, one of the things I miss most about working in, in even a corporate environment is leading transformation, leading change, and mentoring young leaders. Um, it's one of the things I enjoyed in my last role at Gartner, for example, working with some very talented young folks there who who really listened and uh, took coaching and adopted. And, and I think we were both better because of that relationship. So I'll be posting more information on, on LinkedIn and where those will be available. And they'll be across different areas. So I'll be talking customer service, talking technology, talking real estate, maybe even ice cream. So it's going to be just a, a plethora of different topics that me just sort of getting that information out of my head so I can go to sleep at night uh, with, uh, with, a, with a peaceful mind. 
Very cool. So kind of check you out on LinkedIn and they'll be able to follow those things. And then you mentioned ice cream. Tell us where, where the ice cream shop is so folks in the local area can stop by. Absolutely. Yeah, Village Creamery in Fredericksburg, Virginia, with the Spotsylvania Town Center Mall. And we also do Sherry Berries and 1-800-Flowers out of there. So if you have a fruit bouquet or a Sherry Berry, you know, just give us a call at the Village Creamery. And where you can find us in Facebook at Village Creamery at Spotsylvania Town Center. And so we also have, we're famous for our hot waffle ice cream sandwich. So you want a little bit of hot, a little bit of cold together. Uh, you know, come down and, and, and have a visit if you're driving through Virginia, right around exit 133 on I-95. So look forward to seeing y'all. That sounds damn good. Hot waffle ice cream sandwich. I, I got me making one, make one for myself here. So send me the recipe. <laughs> and we'll definitely stop by if I find myself in that part of the world. But, but Philip, this was great. I, I really appreciate your thoughts on this. I, I know I, I work with a lot of folks who are trying to drive transformational change on a big level. And, uh, you know, typically they have some strengths related to the things that we talk about, but also some weaknesses. And I love your approach on kind of the whole the whole thing, right? So from the technology piece to the business case piece to the nuances of how to communicate with individuals about it. So I think this is really powerful and, and folks will get a lot out of it. So thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Look forward to hopefully talking in the future more. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the communication nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.